Welcome to Pantisocracy, and this is your host, Miss Panty Bliss. Hello, thank you. Thank you and welcome or perhaps welcome back to Pantisocracy. And despite what you may have heard, let me first start out by assuring you that my post-lockdown COVID curves look bloody good on me. And since this is radio, if you are the show-not-tell kind of person, you can check me out on the videos that are on pantisocracy.ie. And in today's show, we are going to be talking about skin, but for once, not about my own facial cleansing routine, but more about skin in general. But in particular, how here in Ireland we think about skin, skin colour, and what it means to be of Ireland and Irish. And particularly in the wake of George Floyd's murder and the global Black Lives Matter movement. So, with me today, we are three people who all have a story to tell. First up is Leon Diop. It is a fabulous name, Leon. I just want to say that to you. Uh, It has energy and bounce to it. And he is 26 years old this month only. And... uh, he is one of the trio behind the new Black and Irish Instagram account. It only started in June. Yeah, in June, just after the murder of George Floyd. But it already has this huge following, uh, 45,000 or something like that at this stage, I think. Um, <laughs> and Leon, you are also no stranger to standing up. Uh, because, in fact, you took a sort of groundbreaking uh, court case about racial, uh, racial profiling when you were just 22 years old. So, welcome, Leon. And then, all of the way from South Carolina, via Lisburn, yeah. <laughs> uh, is this, a beautiful woman in front of me here, uh, and someone who knows all about black history and the civil mm-hmm. rights movement in the US, because your grandmother yep. was very much a part of that. It is the beautiful jazz singer, Dana Masters. Yeah. Welcome, Thank Dana. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, now, Dana, you've toured, of course, with Van Morrison's gang and all of that, mm-hmm. uh, but you've also had a, kind of an interesting and I, I, will, I hesitate to say odd, let's say intriguing route to Ireland. Yes. Because you came here uh, as the um, partner of a, a church pastor. I do. Yes, I, yes, I am. You're the yes. glamorous pastor's wife yes. uh, just outside <laughs> Lisburn. Uh, well, welcome down to Dublin. And after the beautiful dinner, we have one more beautiful girl who is no stranger to us here on this show because she used to work with us um, but nowadays she's all corporate she's left us far behind it's Lisa Essman and Lisa s- says that like so many people that the George Floyd murder was both triggering and awakening and we are going to talk more about that later so welcome Lisa it is this idea of race and skin color of Black pride and standing up and speaking out is one of the things that we're going to be talking about today. And before we get into all of that, um, I'm just going to hug the floor for a little longer because I can, because the, my name is in the show's title. I am you know, a talker. By nature, I'm a talker. And it's a characteristic or trait, I hesitate to say skill, but it's a trait for which I'm often grateful. Yes, I'm a talker. And sometimes I'm glad of it. And I come from a family of talkers, and I guess I'm also glad of that, because ironically, they're not shy about telling you to shut up and listen sometimes. Because in a family of talkers, you learn quickly that if everyone is talking and nobody is listening, it's just a lot of noise. Listening and talking are both important life skills. And even if you have a natural gift for one, you still have to practice it, like any skill. And it's unlikely you have a gift for both. So at the very least, you have to learn one and practice both. Because you need both. You need one to tell and the other to hear. 
You need one to be able to tell your story and the other to be able to hear other people's stories. And that's important because it's in the telling and the hearing of people's stories that empathy is born. And empathy, in the humble opinion of this crudely drawn humanoid, is the most important of all our human attributes. Empathy, the ability to empathize, to, the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes, to be able to imagine yourself in their skin, is the difference between being merely a human mammal and being a person. Empathy is at the root of all of our best qualities. Kindness, generosity, fairness, charity, care, love. And an inability to feel empathy is one of the traits common to all psychopaths. Empathy is central to the success or failure of our attempt at being decent people. And empathy is also central to the success or failure of this ongoing project that we call Pantosocracy. Now, I'm not sure exactly how many episodes we've made at this stage, because I'm too lazy to bother counting, but it's quite a lot. And this episode, the final episode of our fifth season, hopefully there'll be a sixth, but that decision is made somewhere in the bowels of RTE, not here. This episode, prompted in large part by the Black Lives Movement in the wake of George Floyd's death, seems like an appropriate episode to tell you exactly what we've been trying to do with this show. When people ask me what pantosocracy is, I first give them the pitch line. It's a show for and about the New Ireland, for want of a better term. And then I tell them that furthermore, pantosocracy is a real word. It's a real word that means a society in which everyone is equal. And we take that idea as a lens through which the show attempts to examine what it means to be Irish now, today. Looking back to see how we got here, trying to see what we've done well, got right, but also what we've gotten wrong, where we messed up, and then trying to look forward at where we'd like to end up and what we need to do or what we need to be better at to get there. And I tell them that each episode attempts to examine some aspect of what it means to be Irish today and hopefully, taken together, they create an honest, unflinching self-portrait of ourselves. And then I hastily add that it's actually much more cracked than that sounds, honestly. And that is basically what we're about. And uh, I don't know, we search out people whose story isn't typical or the one that people imagine when they think of the mythological Irish person. So we have touched on race lots of times, many times, and heard all sorts of stories and given a lie to that idea that there, used to, there was no black people here you know, until recently, because we met loads of them. <laughs> um, but it, is seen, this, it seems like, um, to me, that this show, in a way, has been leading up to this conversation that we want to have today. Mm. And bef- just before we start, I wanted to say one other thing. People sometimes, I hear them all the last few weeks, wondering why people in Ireland are uh, upset or triggered, or whatever word you want to say, by what happened in the US. And... And, I, and, and I, don't, uh, I don't have to ask that question because I, I understand that part because I was in Sydney, Australia. Do you remember when uh, the massacre happened in Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida? Mm-hmm. And within a couple of hours, there was a candlelit vigil in Taylor Square in the middle of Sydney, Australia. And I could see on my phone that the same was happening in Dublin and London and Paris. And at that time, lots of people were saying to me, why are you so... Uh, you know, upset about it. And they, they thought, because I'd never been to Florida, 
certainly never been to Pulse nightclub in Florida. And that's true. But at the same time, I felt like I knew Pulse nightclub like the back of my hand. Mm-hmm. I have been there. Mm-hmm. I knew the kind of people who were there. Mm-hmm. I knew why they were there. I knew this, you know, the music they were dancing to. I knew the boys they were kissing. I knew the feeling that they, it felt to walk into a place like that and mm-hmm. not have to worry about holding somebody's hand or looking over your shoulder or thinking about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'd never been to Pulse, but I, I feel like I've had some of my best weekends ever in Pulse, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes. And uh, Because I've kissed the same boys and I've danced to the same Madonna songs and uh, I, I understand who they were. And I also understood that they died because the hate... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm that that guy f- who killed him mm-hmm. was driven by the same thing that he would hate in me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That he, he didn't care. He didn't empathize with them. He'd never heard their stories. And he didn't care if it was me or, or one of them. Yeah. And that's why we all felt it. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to ask why anybody would feel, you know, the George Floyd murder, yeah. especially if your skin is, is pigmented. Um, I, I get that fully. So... That isn't a question I'm going to be asking you. And I hope that listeners can understand that. It's just a a pointless question too. Mm. Um, And the other thing is, when I saw that happened in Pulse, there is a transnational, shared transnational experience of being queer. Mm. And I think there's a shared transnational experience of of racism, Mm -hmm. which may be different in different parts of the world and in tone or whatever, but it's still racism. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, I'm going to start with you, Dana, because... You are the American story here mm. and your perspective is different, yeah. but maybe that's a good place to start. Um, just give us a little first about your, your story. Yeah, well, I have been in Northern Ireland for <clears throat> going on 12 years now. Mm-hmm. And when I came here, I remember feeling this distinct moment of relief because I grew up in the deep South in America. Mm-hmm. And in the deep South, our story is so thick with the theme of racism. Mm-hmm. And because also my family was a civil rights family, my grandmother was one of the leading civil rights activists in our state, and her children uh, followed suit. And you grew up, I don't remember a time where I was, not, I was shielded from w- some of the worst parts of what it meant to be black in the South. I, I've always grown up with that knowledge. Yeah. And, and your family steeped with, in Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, all of that, exactly. Yeah. My grandmother would have marched with Dr. King, would have worked with a lot with NAACP. One of our... Um, sort of Supreme Court justices who's now passed away, uh, when he got his start being my grandmother's lawyer when she used to get thrown into jail because of protesting or whatever else she was doing. I'm already so, in love with your grandmother, by the way. I love her. I love her so much. But I think I moved here when I was about 25, and it was the first time in my the 25 years of my existence that I felt like I wasn't seen as a black person through the lens of, someone assuming things about me and I didn't feel that weight and that heaviness of the 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 super awareness of myself if that makes sense I think a lot of Irish people will be surprised to hear that yeah especially Northern Ireland no offense to our one but yeah. you know it's, it's a it's a part of our, the world that has its own 
yeah. problems. And, and maybe they yeah. were so, maybe they've been so distracted by their own um, things because the reality is one of the major themes in Northern Ireland is sectarianism. Yeah. And so I think maybe I benefited from them being very distracted with that particular conflict <laughs> that for me, they had no grid of disliking me purely for the color of my skin. Mm. I think, you know, I'm not saying it does happen in the North. It definitely does happen. But for me, I probably spent the last 11 years probably healing deeply from the first 25 years of my life when it came to racism. But that could also be because you're coming you're you're coming from such a racially charged place. Yeah. That even even Northern Ireland with all its baggage felt like a holiday <laughs> for me a wee bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I, yeah, because you're, you're explaining it to me, but I I, I would I I'm, I'm I'm surprised. I yeah. I, 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 I probably I, I don't know. I, didn't I get that. I get that. I find that for the most part, um, Northern Irish people have been beautifully curious about me. And I think it's lovely. I actually love people asking me questions about me and my family. I love talking about my grandmother. I love talking about the civil rights movement. And for the most part, the people that I've met love asking about it and learning and hearing about mm. it. And so... I am encouraged by that because I do think there's a lot of work to be done, but I love that I meet people who are ready to do the work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a, I, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know it's been, I, I know guess, it's yeah. not everybody's story. It's not, because yeah. funny enough, when this global awareness of, the racial inequality in America just mm. happened, just exploded. Mm. I had all sorts of emotions about that. And, but one of the things was, I am no longer living in America. It is not my home anymore. It's, it's where I am from. But I have planted my roots deep in Northern Ireland. I have three very Northern Irish children um, who don't look Northern Irish, but my God, do they sound Northern Irish. <laughs> that's all that matters. Exactly. <laughs> Married to a Northern Irish man, and that's where our lives are at the moment. And so I had this one thing going on where I was trying to process and grieve what was happening still, which was a normal part of the story. Nothing new happening here at home. But also going, what is an appropriate way to respond mm. here in my current context? And I realized that in my current context, I really had no idea what other people of color, their experience was in Northern Ireland. I didn't know how to think about the current context because mm. I hadn't really been exposed to anyone else's experience but mine. And so for the last few months, I have been uh, proactively pursuing other people of color um, whether they be Asian people, African people, and literally interviewing them going, what has it been like for you? Mm -hmm. What is your story? You are from a part of the world which is steeped in, yes. in, in racism. And, and America is a country that hasn't quite had the conversation it needs to have about, oh, no. about it. No. Although I would say, and I hate to diss my Australian friends, at least America's attempted to have that conversation. Yeah. Australia has never even started. Mm. Mm. Leon, are you surprised to hear that? Um, like, yeah, a, li a little bit. Like, some of, some of the anecdotal stories I've heard about Northern Ireland is that sometimes um, 
black people have faced different prejudices, mm-hmm. prejudice, prejudices up there. Um, but that, that could just be the experiences of, of the people that I know. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why maybe I have not experienced that. I also think I probably am not picking up on some of it. Do you know mm. what happens when you come out of a place like the deep south, yeah. okay? And then you transfer to another place where the temperature is not as hot racially. <laughs> yeah. I, my, I, I'm just so callous. Yeah. And I, the, I, yeah. I've been thinking about this. Like maybe there are things that happen that I'm not even yeah. registering. I can only imagine. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, well, that's yeah. the, I, I suppose the, the racism that we would see mainly in America from, I suppose, watching videos about it and what we would see mainly is that the racism in america is more overt Mm, and can be like you know it's more in your face Mm -hmm. whereas racism in ireland is is sometimes a bit more subtle like if you're not picking up on these cues you might not even notice it i think the the queer experience was that we were so used to it we never we never talked about it Mm -hmm. And sometimes you didn't want to talk about it because it also because it was uncomfortable. Yeah. You don't want to go home to your man and say, "Oh, some blog called me yeah. a faggot on the bus today." Yeah. yeah. And 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 after a while, it all becomes so ordinary to you that yes. it doesn't seem worth mentioning anyway. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes it takes some other outside incident, sometimes a big one or sometimes a small one. Do you think George Floyd's death did that here? Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely think so. I, like for, for myself, watching that video and watching someone with a knee on their neck for eight mm. minutes and 46 seconds was yeah. Yeah. atrocious you know and because obviously i'm black too and if i was over in america that could happen to me or that could happen mm. to my brother or a loved one of mine you know yeah. and w- initially i felt a lot of anger and um, i felt a lot of upset as well and um, because that was a loved one taken away from someone and actually oh. can you just give us your sure. story because it's because it makes me think about the fact that you had to say because um, I'm black too. Yeah. Because yeah. this is radio. And God, it's kind of great, <laughs> of course, actually. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> no problem. Sure. So, my, my own story is uh, I'm a mixed race man, um, born and in, in, in bred in Dublin. Uh, my mother is a white Irish Catholic woman, and my father is a black Senegalese uh, Muslim man. So, quite the mix yeah. grow, to, to grow up with. Um, I, I would have grown up in a predominantly Catholic household. My mother and father would have split up when I was quite young. Uh, my father would have moved to France and subsequently passed away from lung cancer. So I wasn't able to, I suppose, access my African mm. heritage from a very young age. Mm. My own story is I would have experienced racism a good bit in Tala. Like m- most of my experiences in Ireland have been quite pleasant. Like m- the majority yeah. of the time, it, it, it was a nice uh, childhood. Um, I would have faced like playing GA. I would yeah. have been called different types of slurs. Going into my college years, uh, <laughs> trying to get a house to live in when I was a student was, was quite difficult. Mm. I was once told that um, this house wouldn't be suitable for people of African origin, um, wow. which was quite difficult myself and my, my friend Daffy. Where were you going to college? Here in Dublin? No, Minute University. So, Minute yeah, so at uh, Minute. Um, so, obviously, I, I was ringing up over the phone. Uh, my name is Leon. To them, I could have been yeah. a white guy who was just rocking up to look at a house. Um, the house was available. And, you know, when, when I showed up, the tone was a bit different. Mm. <laughs> it was like, oh, because there, there were two of us and my friend Afi is black as well. The, the question, would there be anyone else of African origin moving images? And we had planned that there, there would be another... <laughs> African uh, origin. Yeah. And then the letting agent was like, look, I don't think the house is actually suitable for people of African origin. Obviously, the two of us were like stunned. We didn't know what to do or we didn't even know where to go because obviously like you know when you're first starting to rent you don't know about the RTB and um, you don't know 
about the oh, different well, people. It's a hassle can, too. Yeah. Because people say stuff like that. But you just wanted to rent a room. To rent a room, yeah. You didn't want to have to go to the bother of going through a whole court case to uh, get one. Of course, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as a mixed race man, I would have faced discrimination from, I suppose, black people as well. You know, I, I was sometimes, because I, I would have had white friends and, and black friends growing up. And sometimes I was called like uh, Mundele, which is like white boy yeah. mm. um, by the group. Or like whenever they wanted to exclude me, they just speak a different language around me. And I was like, oh, okay. Who, J-E-L-O-L, you, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, and I know, he, like, like yeah. you know, telling, you know, he chose his name to because yeah. some people thought he was too white and some people thought he was too black. So he yeah. decided, I'll oh, embrace being yellow. That's uh, it, yeah. you know, um, and, and that is you know absolutely power to him because it's sometimes very difficult to own your identity when you're experiencing i suppose a bit of heat from both sides yeah. or, or you're facing name calling or, or mm. whatever and i would have definitely gone through that identity crisis as a mixed race person that's a way that you, you can feel as a mixed race person but i definitely went through that process and, and said to myself you know what? i'm just gonna own my own identity and yeah. and, and run with it and but sometimes that's easier for myself, said than yeah. done right Absolutely. Lisa, you, it seems like the George Floyd thing did sort of open something for you or yeah. prompted you to, to vo- vocalize all the things that you'd never really felt you had to or could before. Yeah, I never spoke about my race really ever. I always knew I was different. So I grew up, uh, I was born in 87. So my dad, you, you know, black man coming into Ireland in the mid 80s. He's from Ghana, He's is that from right? Ghana, yeah. yeah. And my mom is white, so a white Irish. So for me, it was, oh, I always knew, obviously, I was different, but I always remember the first incident where I was in, we have family in, in Longford and I was in St. Mel's Cathedral in church. We would have gone to mass every Sunday and sitting in the church and I was probably about four or five and loads of people were staring at me and I couldn't understand it. And I turned around to my mom and I said, why is everybody staring at me? And it must have been so difficult for my mom to try and raise some, mm-hmm. you know, a child of mixed race because she just turned around and she said, it's just because you're really pretty, Lisa. And <laughs> <laughs> she just couldn't have that conversation. Yeah. I was just too young. Um, but for me, I was very lucky going to primary school. I went to primary school in Rathmines. It was very multicultural. Uh, now, there's probably about three or four people of, of colour in the school. But what I did love is it was that feeling of inclusivity. I knew I was different, but I embraced my heritage and I learned a lot. And we taught the other kids what it was like in Africa. And I, yeah. as, as a result, I was learning too, you know. And then I just didn't want to talk about it anymore. I just wanted to fit in. All my friends were white. Um, I went to school, secondary school, basically everyone was right, white around me. I just didn't want to talk about my race and I just wanted to get on with life. Um, Why didn't you want to talk about it? I suppose it's like anything when you're a teenager, you just want to fit in. Mm-hmm. You don't want yeah. to be the other. You yeah. know, I don't want to be the only. Um, and then it was, yeah, so I did experience, it was always covert for me. So it was always that subtle racism that I didn't even realize until George Floyd's, Floyd's murder. And it was that awakening mm. before I had one really overt situation where I was on a bus and it was maybe I was around 12 and I was coming from town, probably one of the first times I was allowed to get the bus into town and I was coming back and my friends had just got off the bus and I was on my own. And uh, these gang of youths just turned around and called me the N word. Mm. And I was just so shook 
um, it like I, I'll never forget it. It was mm. just that moment. And no, the, the difficult part for me was nobody said anything. So yeah. I ran off the bus, ran home to my mother, bawling, crying. And then after that, it was more covert. So it was subtle. But I didn't pick up on this until the murder and of George Floyd. And then it was this awakening moment that I had. And I was like, whoa, when people say I don't see colour, that does make me feel like you're not seeing the struggle, mm. you know, that I yeah. have to work twice as hard as you, that I always have to Google a place before I go on holidays to check if it's racist. Yeah. You know, you don't realise how much we think about our race every day. And it's that point of the white privilege. Irish people like to say, well, we were not racist because, you know, <laughs> we went to London, we went to, <laughs> we went to New York, we went to Boston, we, we experienced racism. You know, uh, I know you had, uh, we talked about it in a previous uh, programme and it's like, no blacks, no dogs, yeah. no Irish. Mm. And it's like, well, we can't be racist then, but it's that subtle racism. Oh my God. And it's and not so subtle. Yeah. Subtle. And it's that unconscious bias. I, as Leon said, I, I remember, you know, I work, used to work in radio and it would be that, oh yeah, I'm going to co come and interview you. My name's Lisa or whatever. And then you come up and you go, oh, you're Lisa. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, and it's that yeah. subtleness. You and sound white. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's it, yeah. Um, Do you, would you think it's fair to say that you found the last, uh, since the George Floyd murder, like traumatic? Because that's what, you know, reading and talking to you, that's what I get from it. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I still haven't watched the video. Yeah, I, I haven't either, but because yeah. I... Could, I felt voyeuristic or something, even though mm. part of me felt I should watch it because you have yeah. to say I read the transcript, though, mm -hmm. and that was... It was enough. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's stunning mm. in the worst way. I mean. Yeah, yeah. So definitely was an awakening for me. I journaled everything that I'd experienced. And my partner, we've been together a very long time, and he's, he's white Irish. And he said to me, you know, Lisa, do you not remember that situation? Or do you not remember that taxi drive? Mm. But do you know, are you saying that your boyfriend was listing off incidents that you didn't? I had blocked from memory mm -hmm. from trauma or, you know, those subtle covert or blatant racism remarks throughout our years together. And I suppose you'd get it from both angles as well. You'd walk down the street and you'd get it from Nigerian women looking at us holding hands and stuff like that. Because you're a mixed yeah, race couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I do think it's better now. Um, I guess, again, I was growing up in the very early 90s where there was very few black people around. Um, my dad was always saying, you know, he used to get all the, the token jobs uh, in Fair City as the, <laughs> <laughs> as the extra drinking pie to the background. Um, but it, yeah, it, it's gotten much better, but it's still, there's still still that covert examples. And, and I guess that's where I had that awakening. I was like, I started journaling and I heard the stories of people in America, in the UK. And then I realized, you know, that happened to me, too. Um, I was in South Africa once at this big meeting mm -hmm. of, you know, mostly queer activists and that. And lots of them were not from South Africa. I come from other African countries, but mm. we're now, you know, in South Africa. And a Ugandan guy said, and it, it stayed with me really profoundly ever since. He said, I never felt black until I came to South Africa. Hmm. And, that, and I was, that kind of blew me away. And I've thought about that a billion times since. Um, which is also, I think, part of the reason why I'm gl glad to hear your experience of coming to, because I would have thought, you know, you would have come to Northern Ireland and thought, God, I'm black. 
<laughs> well, you know, I I am so proud to be black. I was brought up with this very rich legacy. And so there was a positive thing. A part of me is like, I would never not want that. But at the same time, when I got here, I never realized how heavy the weight mm. was on me mentally moving throughout America. When you, when you, when the Uganda guy said that, I was, you know, I got the same reaction that you vocalized there. Oh God, imagine not being aware. Yeah. But then that, I felt that that, uh, that's my privilege right there because mm. I was never taught about being white. Mm-hmm. Growing up in Ballinro, Kajimea, why would I? Yeah. Anyway, listen, let's have uh, a small break with some beautiful music. Okay. Um, <laughs> t- do you, before, tell us about the song and uh, yeah. the connection to your grandmother. And- yeah, so my grandmother passed away um, when, before I turned 20. And before... And thing, her, tell us her name because her name is Johnny Ruth Jenkins. She was Johnny such an incredible woman. Yeah, she like was half famous. black and half white. She was a ginger hair, wow, <laughs> very light skinned woman, and she had the choice to move up north and pass as a white woman, which people did to survive in America. For whatever reason, she chose not to. She stayed in the South. She decided to fight for uh, equal rights and um, and all that good stuff that came with it. And married my grandfather, who's a black man, had five children. Her five children were the first children in their county to desegregate the schools in the Deep South. My mother was eight when she did that. And I've seen the footage. Yeah. It, it's, that it's, was... it's insane. The stories are crazy. So for an eight-year-old, you have now ended whatever childhood you had, and you were enlisted on the front lines in a war for equality. Mm-hmm. And one day I was in, I think I was in San Francisco on tour and it just, it, it, it hit me. There was a whole generation of children in America who were put on the front lines of a war. And just like any war, a lot of them did not make it okay. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother's children, there are a few of them that are not okay. And they have been severely scarred. And I thought to myself in that moment, if my grandmother could write a letter to her children, specifically her daughters, what would she say? And that's when I wrote this song called Little Girl. So, Mm. yeah. Yes, let's hear it. It's called Little Girl. Forgive me 
Stunning. That was incredible. Wow. Thank you, guys. That's why it's so amazing to me that you grew up thinking your voice is just ordinary. <laughs> like, that's incredible to me. Mm. Oh, the other thing I should say to listeners go on pantasarkis.ie and look at the video of that performance because whatever you pictured when I said a Northern Irish pastor's wife. <laughs> I ain't it. Your picture's wrong. <laughs> yeah, the picture is wrong. Um, Leon, <laughs> so inter- one of the things actually is, yeah, Dana's grandmother, I believe, is taught in black history uh, nowadays. So, and then what you're trying to do with the Black and Irish Instagram account, mm-hmm. in a way, is black history for Ireland, you know, kind of. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of the things. T- tell me about it, because... It's it's stunning the success of it in such a short time. Yeah, it's it's gone it's 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 gone better than than I expected. Um, so after the death of George Floyd, I was shook and was like, I want to do something here and I want to make a difference and stuff like that. So myself and my friend Bonnie, who would regularly talk about politics and current affairs and stuff like that, we decided to have a call and and have a, have a chat. And and in the meantime, I started thinking about 
getting people's story shared and giving people, a, I suppose, a sense of community to feel a part of. So I, I thought of Black and Irish and mm. it, just simple and, you know, hopefully people could understand and, and, and buy into it. So myself, Bonnie and Femi decided to have a, a call and just started spitballing ideas. And I gave my idea of what, what I want to do with Black and Irish. And they were like, that's it. That that sounds great. So mm. we're like, all right, well, let's, let's see what we can do. So we set up an Instagram page, which was just, I suppose, to highlight and, and celebrate the struggles and successes of Black Irish people and the Black yeah. Irish community. So we just started telling people stories. So we were like, look, if you want to, I suppose, contribute and you want to share your story, send it into us and, and we'll, we'll post it on our page. Yeah. And it just blew up, I suppose, yeah. my, you know, I, I wasn't expecting it to do as well as it did. And it was incredible because, like, we wanted to share people's stories. But we also wanted to educate people who weren't black to the issues that were faced by black people. So, Well, that's one thing about it because it's just fascinating mm. reading, yeah. um, you know, regardless uh, of the intent, because it's just in, in, these are interesting people and interesting yeah. lives and they have another perspective. And yeah, I'm, I'm sort of addicted to it in a way. But it's also part of the success of it, I think, is because there's a sort of a black history part to it. Mm -hmm. That's it. We, we wanted to educate people on, you know, the, I suppose, the history of black people in Ireland as mm -hmm. well. So Bonnie came up with an idea to run a Black Irish History Week. So we were like, let's let's do it. Let's start researching what, you know, what, what's going on. Yep. And the stories that we found were incredible. Yes, like, stuff, yeah. you know, we, we, we came across the story of um, Raquel Baptiste, who was a black Irish singer in the like 1800s, mm -hmm. uh, who was like really famous across Ireland and the UK. Um, and was like well renowned for, for singing and stuff and was a celebrity like a black Irish mm. celebrity in the 1800s and there's these like there's this sentiments that I suppose mass immigration started in the 80s yeah. and, that, and, that, and that that is when the majority of, of black people came to Ireland but there has been black people in Ireland for quite yeah. some time now I, I wouldn't call myself a historian so <laughs> I'm not going to go too much into the stories in case I get something wrong but it was interesting coming across those stories and we have ideas to run more campaigns throughout like on the page around black Irish people in, in sport. And you would like to see it on the curriculum. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I would love, like, because that's that's part of my history too, as, as a black Irish man. Yep. You know, the only thing that I I was taught about in skills is that, you know, black people were on troker boxes or black people were slaves in America. I didn't learn a whole lot else other than that about black mm. people. So, yeah. you know, it would be nice to, to see that, you know, uh, Frederick Douglass came to Ireland mm. and toured and, and gave like speeches and stuff like that. And, you know, it, I suppose it, 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 what it would have done for me is given me more of a connection to, to you know, Irish history as well. Yeah. Um, because it would be celebrating both sides of my history yeah. rather than just the one. But now, Lisa, when you were in school, you didn't even want to talk about the subject. If, for example, it had been on the curriculum, is that, do you think it would have given you permission to talk about this stuff? Yeah, secondary school, I just didn't really want to talk about it. And I guess... It, it's it, co it comes down to the fact of that struggle with belonging mm -hmm. where do I fit in yeah. who, who am I because constantly you'd get but where are you really from yeah. you know yeah, yeah, and oh I'm, I'm from Crublin in my thickest <laughs> Dublin <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I like, don't have any other extra exactly. to give to you here yeah yeah, yeah and I wouldn't yeah. budge I wouldn't budge absolutely that's it and <laughs> um, that's what I really struggled with when I was in my teenage years was where am I really from where is my identity um but now I'm proud of, of both sides. Uh, I would consider myself Irish, but I, I've been to Ghana and I've been able to 
And that was, I think that was a big turning point for me, 2007. My dad wanted to bring my whole family to, to Ghana. And I guess I was very lucky to be able to, to go and meet my grandparents. And they've since passed. So that was really special for four of us in the family to be able to meet my grandparents. And I remember my mom turning around to me and saying, now I understand why, why everybody's staring at you and how you feel. I'm interested though, Dana, because um, we kind of touched earlier on that it, every part of the world has racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a global um, idea, thing. And, but each part of the world has a different yeah. history that brought them to the kind of racism that they experience in, in that part of the world. Yeah. And, and it's interesting to me, too, because often when I'm talking to Americans, uh, black Americans, uh, their ancestors, you know, ended up in America one way or the other, uh, by choice or not, a long time ago. And they often have no idea where in Africa their line yeah. comes from. Yeah. Whereas, I, you know, here you, you tend to know my father was from Senegal, my father yeah. was from uh, Ghana or whatever. Um, and that to me always seems odd. Maybe that's a European perspective or something because we're so little country focused. Yeah, well, it's part of the black American tragedy, really. Um, This wasn't, you know, this wasn't an immigration situation. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like we were many, the majority were stolen. Yeah. In America, as a black person, you do under the surface always feel like they don't truly believe that you are as a part of this place as they are. And I think it's it's heartbreaking. And um, I, I don't think that's fully understood yet by yeah. a vast majority of white America. Um, and I would say here, I've heard that sentiment that you just said, Lisa, um, spoken to me from other people from Northern Ireland who are black, Northern Irish people that where what where are you really from? And I think Irish people all over this island could do such a beautiful thing by just rephrasing that question, mm-hmm. finding a finding a way that rephrases that question that assumes the belonging of the person that you're talking yeah. to. Mm-hmm. Like you are ours. We love you. Like this is mm-hmm. your home. But there is a curiosity, like, how'd you get brown skin? Like, that's yeah. what they yeah. want to know. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that because they also want to know when somebody's from a different county. Like, it's not yeah. just like, yeah, 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 you yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's why I'm so at home in, on this but island. Also, I love the yeah, nosiness. Also, I think beca- <laughs> because of American, you know, power in a sense, yeah. I think they know where you're from. They do. And so when they ask me, because I am actually a visitor here, there's, I don't feel that same sense of upsetness. Yeah. But that's you because I am a visitor. Like stuff, I yeah. am, that's exactly who I am. So when they say, but where are you really from? I go, I'm from South Carolina. Now, th- where it gets hard is when they say, but where, where in Africa are you from? Mm. And, you're, and I'm just like, yeah, no, yeah. I'm sorry to disappoint <laughs> you, but yeah. we don't all have that connection. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so but that's... But for Irish people, it's especially odd to think about because we are... Where's your ma from? Where's, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. your cousin will eventually know my cousin. And, you know, really, yeah. well, they want to place you in the fucking town land. Yes, exactly. You know? yeah. Exactly. So that being a, a, a gray, murky thing is, is odd. To yeah. Mm. yeah. It, yeah. I, I can only imagine it. And I'm, I'm listening to Lisa and I, 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 that empathy, like I feel 
what that how that must land when you're like this is my home yeah yeah mm. this is this is me you know and and i think what i hear is that people people of color who are from here it's almost like there's that missing of acknowledgement that you too are just as invested in this place as your white Irish yes. counterpart. Yeah. Yes. That Absolutely. you too share that story and more. Do you know what I mean? And and when you were talking about earlier about black history, uh, Leon, it, it just struck me. Of course you want that in the curriculum because mm-hmm. that's the whole story. If that's yeah. not in the curriculum, we're missing a piece yeah. of the Irish history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not just black. It's actually yeah, part of Irish, Irish history. history. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a Absolutely. beautiful part. And and it, I want to see the day when people all over Ireland are like, yes, did mm-hmm. you know about that really famous black Irish dude? That's our, <laughs> that's our story. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Not yeah. just like that's their story yeah. that we allow to be taught to our children. Yeah. That's not okay. Well, Obama's ours. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, y'all do claim some black people. Well, we, have, we, have a, we, we, have, we have a petrol station named <laughs> Obama <laughs> yeah. Plaza or whatever it is. Obama Plaza, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was just, just so, so good. It's a great spot. Um, well, actually, this seems like a perfect moment for the next song because it's about awesome. home. and yeah. Um, yeah. Introduce the song. Okay, so I, I wrote this song. I, I have to say, I love this island. I love this island. And it has been very healing for me to come from uh, South Carolina and come here. And maybe I wanted to share this song because I wanted to encourage you all and anyone who's listening that it is in you on this island to do this well. Because people like myself have been welcomed and have been um, sort of accepted and you wanted to know my story. And so I know there are people who are hurting um, on this island who haven't had that experience, but I want to say, you know how to do this well. And I want to encourage you to do this well intentionally. And, but I wrote this song just as a thank you and almost like a love song to this island who is, who has treated me well. Um, And it's called, call you home so yeah (laughs) lost my way in a desert land searching for somewhere I could stand high and dry I Across the sea Wasn't looking for home But home found me The wide open arms Of your hills pulled me in I fell for your charms In your wild northern winds And then you lay me down And whispered soft and sweet I'll be your home if you let me With nothing to give I had Nothing to bring Still you held my hand And eased my suffering And when I close my eyes I still hear you breathe And with every sigh 
give life to me The wide open arms of your hills pulled me in I fell for your charms and your wild northern winds And then you lay me down and whispered soft and sweet I'll be your home if you let me You know what I mean? Um, Leon, yeah. one of the things that I think is interesting about you using the internet or on Instagram and all that, that is, um, and I think it contrasts maybe with um, Dana's experience, is that Dana comes from a part of the world that, I don't know, racism is endemic and structural. It's mm-hmm. the basis of everything. Mm-hmm. But there was solidarity in numbers. Mm. Um, she had a church full of people who looked like her and sounded like her. And, you know, black people in Ireland felt very alone. They didn't have black neighbors and yeah. all that stuff. I, you know, and um, maybe that's changed in some parts of the city now or whatever, mm-hmm. if you go to primary school or something. But is that the experience? I, I think it, it can be for some, yeah. It, it, it can be quite a lonely experience. And I, I know of a number of, of people who, um, you know, working in different corporations, they are the only people in the room um, mm-hmm. and feel quite alone in that respect. I think there's there's a couple of reasons. Yet yeah, one is is numbers. I think uh, you know black Irish people only make up like one point six percent of the overall population, and and that is spread out throughout the entire country. So mm. yeah, it, it can be a bit lonely. But the main thing is that we have the means of communication w- with one another now. So it's yeah. important that we build these communities around ourselves and say, well, like, look, we're not alone because isolation is is a, a massive cause for you know serious problems. Clearly, things have changed, and there's a lot more. That needs to change. Uh, as a sort of final thought, sort of a moment here for me, uh, Lisa, I'm sorry, you, what do you want to see change? It's this listening and educating piece and really understanding the struggle of Irish black people um, and understanding their story and listening and then going, well, what can I do about it? And mm. thinking I need to go bef- beyond the performative, beyond the, the moment and mm-hmm. create a movement. And for me, it's it it needs three things to have that sense of belonging and it needs diversity. So I had no black role models growing up except mm. for my father. Mm. You need to see diversity and then you need equality. So you need to understand those unconscious bias and yeah. become aware of them. 
to change them. And um, and then it it's the inclusivity. It's that sense of everybody deserves to 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 be heard and to be seen. I think. And I I go down to that. I don't see color piece, and it's you know. You then you don't see me, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. then you don't see me because you don't see that struggle. Yeah. Leon, do you like to add anything to that? Uh, no, I, th- I think you, uh, Lisa, summed it up really well. Um, you know, e- educate yourself around around issues. If you're unsure on, on, on something, Google it. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it, yes, don't ask your black friend to do all the work yeah, for you. For you. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> and, and Dana, you've got your kids growing up in Northern Irish with Northern yeah. Irish accents and I'm yeah. guessing some sort of beautiful caramel coloured skin. Gorgeous, um, yeah. Like, what do you hope for the future for them? If they... Do you know, I, listen, there's never going to be a future, I don't think, that we will ever see um, the eradication of racist people. Mm-hmm. That's just, it's it's a brokenness in humanity that we, on some level, we all struggle with wanting to compare ourselves and want to be better than the next person. But what I do want to see and what I do hope is that if you adopt racist behaviors, racist beliefs, if that's the way you want to move through society... I want it to be very difficult for you to move through society and succeed in society. Not difficult for me mm-hmm. as a person of color or any other marginalized minority group. It shouldn't, we should not pay the price for other people's decisions to be racist, sectarianist, bigots, whatever the case may be. And so... I teach my kids every day to have the kind of confidence that they can navigate situations with really difficult people because difficult people are everywhere and for all different types of reasons. But what I want is for the system to back them up, not to back up the difficult people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, listeners, for listening in to us today. And that was the final show in this season of Pantasoxy. And I can hear you all saying, God damn it, the summer must be over. <laughs> and it is. But it's been really fabulous. Uh, it's been fun. It's been uh, interesting and educational. And it's been good to be back in Radio Land and Podcast Land. And no doubt we will return around Christmas, I guess. Um, thank you to my beautiful guests today for joining us here. Dana Masters, thank you very much thank for you. the songs and the stories. Uh, Leon, you've been a beaut. And Lisa, <laughs> nice to see you back here. Um, and thanks to Helen and John for running the back office and to everyone who's helped in the studio getting it edited and sounding so gorgeous and thank you at home for listening in and finally remember that if you want some more this hasn't been enough go to pantasocracy.ie and therein you will find videos of all the performances and links to every podcast you could possibly want everything pantasocracy concerned good night thank you very much <laughs>